We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. No Darius today. And these Eastern Conference Finals, we had, a, I think, what might be a decisive Game 5 win from the Boston Celtics last night. And this series, and really the Conference Finals in both conferences, have had a very strange personality. The last game where we had a one-possession game within the last minute, of the game was game five of Boston versus Milwaukee in the last round. We've had a ton of blowouts. And in this Eastern Conference finals in particular, they've had a strange personality of their own in that in Miami's wins, it's been these short bursts of just absolute dominance and then trying to hold on for the rest of the game after getting a 20 point lead of which the winning team in all five games has had a 20 point lead at some point. That's just crazy. And then in the Boston wins, Boston has been pretty dominant from wire to wire in their wins. And Mike, so coming into this game five, we both thought, all right, this is the game where both teams kind of are at an even desperation level and we're going to see both of them clash. And we did in the first half. This series has been up till game five, a higher scoring series than I anticipated it being. But that first half was more of that rock fight, right? Uh, Miami was up 42 to 37. And then in the third quarter, Udoka makes an adjustment, uh, takes Robert Williams out of the starting group and puts Grant Williams in instead. So they're a little more mobile. They can space the floor a little better. And that really opens up their offense. And I thought we saw that initial clash, Mike, in that first half. And then they... Boston kind of broke them, broke them down. Now I've got some thoughts on shot making and things like that, but I'm curious, what did you see? Because I agreed with your perspective that this was going to be the game where we saw both teams really show up. And I thought they did it first. The most simple way that I think about a playoff game like this, and if you take out all of the stuff we're going to get into and where guys are on the court, who's available, which coach is doing what, matchups, et cetera. It's just the, whichever team kind of takes the steering wheel is the better team usually. In this, in this, however it happens, right? There are exceptions to this. Sometimes a guy gets a foul trouble, a guy gets an injury. But, but I thought that's what happened. And it was really Tatum and Brown. And it was about a four-minute stretch of the the end of the third quarter. Because Miami actually goes into the third quarter with a five-point lead. And I wasn't quite sure how they had built it. And when I say that, I, I guess that was 
that's not true. This is that thing that you've been talking about all season with Miami. They're they're smart, you know. They they just know they find ways to uh, to play good basketball and to get the other team out of what it wants to do. But I always felt like this Boston run was going to come, and at a certain point, Miami just couldn't stick with it, and it goes from. So 58-59, Miami's down one with 244 left. And by the end of the quarter, they're down by 11. Wow. And yeah. it was a it was a flurry. Like it was some threes. It was Jalen Brown from the perimeter. Um, it was uh, Derek White made a play. Tatum finally got into the lane and got a floater to go. And then you have the three-pointers. Or sorry, the, the final bucket from Brown, this nice lofted jumper. And then the start of the fourth quarter that you see those threes when there were just breakdowns in the Miami defense. And Spo actually talked about it, Pete, in his end of his start of fourth quarter interview, where I think that it started to get deflating that Miami is just having so much trouble scoring. And yeah. they finally lost some of that focus on the defensive end. And that's kind of what I mean by it, it. At some point like that was going to the difficulty that Miami had of just being able to score and run offense on a, a locked in Boston defense was going to play out on the other end at some point. So that that's part of what I thought happened and why Boston was able to carry away with it. My one pushback on that is Miami got a lot of open shots, right? If you rewatch the shots that Struess took, that Lowry took, they are a lot of Mike Breen, um, Struess wide open for three in part because they're dropping fairly deep, Boston was. And so they're conceding these shots where it's like you kind of got to hit. They, they went, what, 0 for 14, 0 for 15 between Lowry and Struess? And so I think the fact that like a Boston run offensively was always going to come at some point. I think the fact that Miami could not answer answer that in kind, especially with their starters. Jimmy missed a ton of layups. He airballed like an eight footer, missed a ton of like decent mid range looks that he's usually good at. And so there's just a, a certain element of shot making. Like there's a version of Boston's defense where they flatten you out and you're dribbling around like a chicken with your head cut off and can't get up a good shot. And you got to chuck something up with three seconds. But with the starters in particular, that wasn't that but with the bench unit, with those, I call it the wraparound, the last couple minutes of the first quarter, last couple or first couple minutes of the second quarter, same as the third and fourth, that's where those are the periods of the game where, oh, they are flattening Miami out. They aren't getting any good shots. But I thought it was their starters, Mike, like just three guys between Jimmy, Struess, and Lowry that just couldn't hit shots that they normally hit. So this is where without Darius here to try to slide in and be Switzerland, right? I'll just go right back at your point. <laughs> and when I'm watching a game, I've, I've always hated, and I think I ranted on this a couple months ago, this whole make or miss thing. Like, why are guys missing open shots? You know why it's typically against a team that's got more talent or that is really good defensively. And those guys legs, for example, Max Struess, sure. who's carried a huge load and, and never played this much basketball probably in his life, especially at this high, high of a level. We know that Lowry's got his own excuse because of the hampered hamstring, and he's just not been healthy. So that's something we've covered. Uh, Butler clearly also isn't healthy. But these are all reasons, again, why like why that was going to happen. And Miami can't just expect, right, that they're going to be hitting uh, these open shots. And I think that's that's part of what we've seen through whatever the best team is going into a series. The other team at some point either – that other team uh, gets pushed, puts them to the foul line a lot. And it's like, well, why is Boston going to the foul line so much? Well, because they're more athletic you and they attack the rim and you're following them. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, so these things are, it's not just about to me, uh, you know, the, the missing of open shots that's going to go in. I think that the other team is kind of forcing their will on that. 
Yeah, that's certainly part of it, right? Especially, I, I always talk about guys, their elevator gets off at a certain floor and at a certain point, the caliber of basketball, they're not capable of, of playing it. And that's one of those unseen factors, Mike, that you talk about as a guy's leg. So I think that in the case of Struess and Lowry, that's that's certainly part of it. But like, I'm talking about the difference between going 0 for 12 from three and three for 12 from three, right? Like the the level of shot, Mike, Mike they shot 15.6% from three on 45 attempts. Now, that 45 attempts is in part designed by Boston. Like I said, they're hanging back in the paint. They're conceding these shots. But to me, like I grant all of that. And that to me is a explanation for why a guy might shoot 30% from three over the course of a series. But like when it's that bad, Mike, like they were 0 for 12 from three and a yeah. lot of them were which wide is, open looks, you know? Which is why they got blown out. But let's say, let's get, let's say four more of those shots go in. Okay, and then they're up to like thirty percent or whatever. Well, are are you going to give Boston a couple more shots? Right, they were ten for thirty three from three. They missed a lot of open threes. So the the gap. This wasn't like a one point game, right, or a two point game where you can say make or miss here or there. The teams are pretty much even. Uh, this this to me was a there's a thorough talent gap. I guess is the way is the way that I would put it. And even with Bam playing a little bit better, it was his best game when Robert Williams actually played. Uh, but even that, you know, 18 points in 38 minutes and he needed 15 shots to get there, which for the type of shots that Bam takes, isn't that great? So uh, but you're like, yeah, you're not you're not wrong in saying this. You you do, of course, expect, especially if you're let's say you're a Miami Heat fan. You're like, dude, what are you talking about? Like that? I've seen Max Struess at a million of these shots. And I just saw like the most recent example Lakers wise that I could think of is last year whether it was KCP or Caruso or Kuzma, at a certain point, those guys just didn't have anything left in their legs. And they didn't. Yeah. And guess where that shows up the most? Shot making and particularly yep. from three. And that's what I'm saying. And, be, and I think Miami, in part because of Jimmy's injuries, right? In part mm. because of Kyle Lowry's injuries. So they do have that as somewhat of an excuse. But meanwhile, Boston is pretty hobbled too. Um, Smart and Williams have been dealing with stuff. Tatum's dealing with the shoulder that he was barely able to do anything in the first half until he finally started to figure it out. So, um, but that's, that's to me more of just the, that talent gap eventually weighs out. And, and one of the most obvious ways is the missed shots uh, when they're open. Yes. I think with Boston too, they have more offense on the interior, like they're less reliant upon their jump shooting, which is the strength of their team, right? Like that's not something that like, that's a check in their corner. So yeah, Boston has more on the interior and more ability to score in the paint than Miami does. And especially when Jimmy is a little banged up, that was something that that's the other aspect of it to me, aside from Lowry, Struess, and just their general lack of shot making from the perimeter is Jimmy is the guy you rely on for those tough, grimy buckets around the rim or from totally. 12 feet and in, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, the, him those not having buckets, you have to score inside some, you have to get easy buckets because jump shots are not going to fall for a whole series. Exactly. There are going to be games like this, uh, certainly. And so I thought the combination of those two, it's not just the Lowry Struess going over, you know, 15 or whatever they were uh, over 12 from three. It's that as well, that Jimmy not being able to. And again, a lot of these were like Jimmy normally makes that shot. I don't mean to take anything away from Boston's defense, which is obviously excellent. But if you watch the shots that these guys were taking, it's like. That's their shot, but you got to be able to make it. Um, but a big part of that, I think, is kind of the the injuries and the their physical ability to get to the finish line was always my biggest concern with Miami. And even though several guys are playing, you can see that they just don't have all of it to give. And that's been a big part of these last couple of playoffs, Mike. So 
Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's start talking about the Lakers and how this ties in, how the kind of attrition across the league ties into the Lakers. And it's been one of the big storylines with us. So let's take a break and come back and talk about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, how do you view this? This is something that I feel like is happening more than it used to. Maybe it's because we're just zoomed in more than we are. But the ability to make it through a season and through a playoffs, to me, physically, is becoming more and more important than than it ever has been before. And with the Lakers team that has LeBron going into his 20th season and AD having a couple of seasons now where he's missed a lot of time, talk to me about that idea, like, so much of our analysis these last couple of years of what this team is has been mostly theoretical because 80% of the time we don't have our dudes. But the ability to have those guys is something that like is, has to be the foundation of anything. There's a lot here, Pete. So I, I think we'll have to pull some onion layers off as we go on here. The first thing that comes to mind is the pandemic and how much that changed the routine of the NBA and the body clock of the NBA. And just think about LeBron. He had... He had the eight straight finals trips and then what ended up being nine and 10 or Mm -hmm. was it not? Yeah. So every single year, barring the bubble, which would, which would kind of the start of the change of all this, right? He's his body just almost knows instinctively. It's kind of like if you're on a sleep schedule and this is not a strength of mine. Uh, I am sleep. I am a little bit more of a random time sleeper and sometimes it's really late and then sometimes I get woken up early. So, but I know I have a couple of friends who it's like a metronome and that really helps them with their daily flow and their body sort of knows when, or even just the simple, like the rising and the falling of the sun, you know, there's, there's certain things, right. That go in a nice little rhythm. And I think that for clearly for many, many years, this NBA calendar uh, guys have figured out how to ramp up and how to get their bodies to a certain point and no one better historically than LeBron. Uh, He really is the, the number one guy there that figured that out. So then that all of a sudden that changes. And so LeBron's body has to peak in the fall of 2020. Well, well, hold on a sec. The next season then started in December. And that was to me that that's the chain of events for LeBron specifically, but then extend that to the rest of the league. And for guys that are not thinking about their body in that same way. And I think we can, without being too critical, throw Anthony Davis in that to an extent where I don't know how the degree to which Anthony Davis has really mapped out Um, in the way that LeBron did, how is my body going to get through all this? So 
that then that impacted clearly. We talked about the bubble tax, right? So that was the Lakers and the Heat. Neither of them were able to do anything last year. Um, that was to a to a secondary extent the Nuggets and the Celtics, um, who got to the conference finals and their their teams kind of crashed and burned. Yeah. Now now this year, a lot of people picked Milwaukee and Phoenix to get back to the finals almost by default. I, I don't know if there's a team that's more talented that's played better than Phoenix. Yeah, that's going to be the finals pick. Um, Milwaukee, they've got Giannis, but but we on this pod, and I, I know I certainly tried to emphasize this point a lot. I was like, well, they didn't add anything to their previous year. Middleton and Holiday played in the Olympics. Like these guys are going to run out of juice, and yeah. so that's that's the, that kind of fatigue and the difference in the body clock and all of that. I think that there's still going to be an adjustment next year, like until we finally get back on this full schedule. And so that's one thing that I think that can get better. The secondary part of this, Pete, is a point that you made that I thought was a great one. And I don't think you were this was before the playoffs had even started, but you were like the regular season devaluation. And you've talked about it in terms of the play in. You know, that's one element you brought in. But for me, it's also to do with COVID and how teams have said, well, we we don't know if we're gonna have X guy for a certain two weeks set. So let's just let's basically use this regular season to try and get into the postseason and then we'll ramp up. And so I ap- apologize. I'm going on and on here. I love it. No, it's great. If I could jump in with that too, Mike, yeah, I please. think that, that that exact point right there is part of the reason why I uh, undervalued what Golden State was capable of. They came out like gangbusters to start this year and they looked really good. And it was like, hey, Golden State is in the mix. And then I thought seeing it with the benefit of hindsight now, they kind of ramped down a little bit after that. And they had injuries, right? You had Draymond, you had Steph. And there were certainly external factors where that second half of the year, the Warriors, they had some stretches where they're like two and eight in their last 10 games and just not looking good at all. But then we've seen, and this series in particular with Dallas, that ramp back up. And if we have a Warriors-Celtics finals, I think that does Golden State have the juice or will they run out by game five type of thing with kind of not older legs. They're not as old as my as Miami is, but Lord knows they've got a ton of miles on that. A guy like Clay coming back from just you know major injuries and all of that. So to your point, Mike, I think that certain team like the regular season is somewhat of a lie and golden state i think reflects the point that you were just making there you know and with that said so round one starts and when phoenix starts to when so when devin booker injures his hamstring right and that was the time where hold on maybe it's going to be boston golden state in the finals and then i think we i this is the thing i got mad at myself about dallas comes on right and and smacks phoenix in game seven and then you're thinking well wait a second golden state got pushed by memphis but so that's that's that part of it but the place I was going to try to tie this into to start, uh, and then we'll get to the Lakers element of this and LeBron and AD, et cetera, was this Miami series and Boston and all of the guys that are that are struggling to get through it physically. And why is that? You know, how many of these players were involved in that extended bubble run? How many of these guys played on Team USA? How many of them are just vets that we've seen? It's been harder on vets like Lowry yeah. and like Butler. You know, it's so a lot of this to me is tying into it and how is that going to how is that going to change moving forward in the league it, it's a it's an interesting discussion we got to get somebody smarter than me um in here maybe maybe i'll get one of my doctor buddies to pop on at some point but that's a um that's a question to me that, that i think we have to think about in this series and it's it's been pretty prevalent and then the question though moving forward lebron and ad they now have another long off season we thought that was going to be a big help last off season. And it wasn't. 
Now, were AD's injuries fluke injuries? That's what he would say, right? Um, LeBron's injuries are injuries that didn't used to happen to LeBron one way or the other. Even if his ankle got put in a weird position like it did in New Orleans, it somehow just his his body just didn't bend there. And that's where I'm uh, – it's an open question, Pete. So what are your thoughts as you think about starting with LeBron and AD, another full off season? So their schedule at least has been has gotten now back to normal, quote unquote, yeah. for 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 not quite two full seasons. But do you can you talk yourself into that? Yes, sort of. It depends on the supporting cast. I think that we really saw the downside of not having a lot of motor. I thought last season we had an extraordinary blind spot to the value of motor. And I always remember the first game of the season was against Golden State. And LeBron and AD were amazing in that game and they had to fly around everywhere and we still lost by like 14 or something like like that. But what was apparent in that game was the degree to which LeBron and AD that flying around and doing everything was essential because like what is Carmelo Anthony going to do that or like we didn't have many guys that that's kind of in their nature. Yeah, And, and Russ doesn't do that. And I think that was part of the way that people understood Westbrook's game was that you were going to get more of that, right? And so then it was kind of it, – it stood out when it when it wasn't happening. Well, we have – because there's all these reports about possibly Russ coming back. And so we're going to have plenty of conversations about Russ. But with his motor, it's like when he's the center of the universe, like, yeah, he'll push the ball up court. If he's got the ball in his hands or is asked to be the guy that drops down to get, grab the rebound, like – he, he's got a very selective yeah, motor, right? right? We're it, talking about that role player, do everything motor, yeah, like defensively, like especially. Yeah, yes. yeah. And, and all of that and that type of that type of effort is necessary from all the guys, not LeBron and AD. And if Russ comes back, like if we're going to have any success at all, that has to be there more. Again, we'll have more Russ conversations uh, down the line. But in terms of like. I think of the Lakers making it through the season. Both LeBron and AD are at points of their career where they're having difficulty doing that for different reasons. And that makes it all the more important to have guys who can step in and get you through those 82 so that you can have something like Golden State where you are able to ramp down a little bit, not go full throttle for the full 82, and then ramp ramp back up during the playoffs. But I think we're in a different position We'll have more difficulty doing that. Let's talk about that on the other side of the break. The thing about this upcoming season with the Lakers and the the roster and the coach and kind of a lot of it is what direction are we going to go in? We have this foundation of two superstars that have had injury issues, but like what does the team look like around them? And the team around them has looked very different each of the last three seasons, especially this past one. It becomes a question of what type of players do you need to get through to to the end. But the constant turnover, I think, makes that kind of not going the full 82 a lot more difficult. A team like Golden State, Mike, for the most part, those guys have played together for years under the same coach and the same system with the same teammates. So you have a little more bandwidth where you go like, hey, yeah, we got 30 games of great basketball to start the season. We can kind of, you know, ramp it down a bit and we do what we do and we know what, what we'll be able to do come playoff time. The Lakers, man, like we don't even have an identity right now, Mike. And so that idea that we can go through a season and do that, I think, is difficult which means that there is going to be that demand on LeBron and AD and the role players and all of that. And so when you look at the roster, not not specific players, obviously, or anything like that, but what do we need around LeBron and AD to both, to, to both 
get through the season physically, but also be able to build something cohesive enough over the course of that 82, where I don't think we're going to have that luxury of like, oh, the second half of the season, let's just kind of chill and and build back up for the playoffs. The complicated part about this answer is if you're expecting LeBron and AD to be playing a certain amount, then it's one type of guy. And if you're expecting the same injury luck that's happened the last or injury, whatever, maybe it's not luck the last two years, then it might tend towards another type of guy. The ideal, of course, is that you have the guys that that can do both. And the two types here, I guess I should I should lay this yeah, out. Yeah. The one that I've been kind of advocating the most for and the one that they used to have is the two way or or at least tending towards D and energy. And those guys that if you're you're counting on LeBron's brain and his ability to create shots, right, and all of that as being enough on offense, and then that you have all of these other guys to do the difficult work uh, that needs to be done throughout the course of the regular season. And then come playoff time, some of those guys maybe evolve offensively. Maybe you pick up an additional offensive piece, which to me are always easier to find um, at the deadline or whatever it is. But that that recipe to me, it has to be those other guys doing all the work and not just going into the season saying week one, LeBron and AD, uh, go dominate defensively. So that so that's the first part. Now, that in doing so, you might lose a few of the shot creator types or the, you know, the offensive like they had on the team last year. And so, the, the, of course, the ideal is that you have a player that can do both of those things. But if I have to pick, and usually when you're using the minimums and maybe breaking up a mid-level exception or a mini mid-level exception, you can't have it all. And that's where I, I tend towards more of the just get guys with motors that can do the type of work that you're just – if you have LeBron and AD do that early in the season, you're not going to get through the season no matter what happens. Yes, absolutely. And if you look at each of the teams that are remaining, everyone is – they're very serious customers on the defensive end, right? And so kind of replenishing that from a Lakers standpoint, that's also one of the types of players in the NBA that are like, there's a few D and three types of guys that are going to hustle, play hard and can knock down an open three with their feet set. I hope that we learn some things from the roster construction of last season, particularly with respect to motor athletes. The type of guy that you're talking about, Mike, is those DN3 type of, of, of wings, especially on the defensive end, that can run the floor as well and provide energy plays. And again, just hit that three with your feet set. But that collective defense, the ability to put five on the floor that are all very serious customers on the defensive end is one of the things that we lost that I think we can get back. But that said, I think a lot of you you laid out that whole like, if it's this way, it's one type of guy. If it's another way, it's another type of guy. To me, the big place where that hinges and the types of guys that we'll need, Russell Westbrook, and is he back? Is he somebody that's back on the team? Because if we have Russ, to me, that automatically becomes like, oh, we need somebody who could space the floor at that five spot. That's another thing I see, Mike, in these playoffs is there's no more than one guy on the court that can't really shoot or is a well below average type of shooter. And so that idea of like athleticism and defense, but you're capable. I don't know. It's this very fine line. You know what I mean? Like, and if Russ is back, we can fall over that tipping point of not having enough shooting where I agree with you, Mike, that it's not like the the essential ultimate thing that you absolutely have to have. But if you dip below a certain Mendoza line, then you're in trouble. And I thought we did that a lot this season. So it's this very fine line between those types of players. 
Well, and that's ahead, that's <laughs> that's why that's why it all goes back to Russ, though, right? And we've been trying to we've had a lot of conversations about it, but when the number is that high in terms of what the salary is, and you there's certain types of productivity that can't be counted on that affects the ability to go out and find that um, because of the numbers that you have to go out in, whether it's free agency or uh, whatever, some kind of unbalanced trade in terms of players uh, or like one for two or whatever that might be. So that there is no good, easy answer uh, with that. And that's why we're, that's why we're, we've been racking our brains uh, for the last several months on it. But I just am thinking, so watching Dallas, right, since that, that's going to be game six, uh, or no, sorry, game five is going to be tonight in Golden State. And Dallas has a formula that's similar in some ways to what the Lakers have, except that the Lakers, like when they won the title, they had Anthony Davis, right? And But they've got Luka, who, who approximates what LeBron does, certainly offensively, and then a bunch of guys super committed to their roles, good defensively for the most part. Now, they instead of having AD as a secondary guy, they've got two smaller guards and Brunson and Dinwiddie who can come in and kind of get their own shot. So it's it's a different makeup and a different team there. And that, to me, lowers their ceiling. But the, their floor is also higher. And the players that I'm getting to are basically Finney Smith and, and um, Bullock. And these are guys who knock down threes. But more importantly, they defend on the wing and they defend guards and slide down if need to. And that those are the types of guys that the Lakers had for two both of the previous two seasons. And those are the guys that are hard to get, too. They they are, but before the season, I would have never described Bullock as one of those types of guys. I think you can build a culture where you can reach guys that are kind of 50-50 or even 40-60 on the defensive end where it's like, are they going to be a good defender or not? If you're in a culture where like this is what we do, this is what the coach enforces and, and you play together, then you can get that out of guys that you did not expect. And so when you look at Dallas's roster, even guys like Brunson, Dinwiddie, Bullock, Bertans, these are guys that get minutes for them that I would have never been like, oh, yeah, that that player is going to be part of a of a high level defense. And so they're. I think that they've reached a bit of their ceiling in terms of what they can they can do and and Golden State is capable of of hitting levels like where it's like they can't quite play as well but I do yeah. think that our next coach setting that culture like what you can get out of even a guy like like Russell Westbrook right and what you can get out of those types of players there is some bandwidth there that it isn't set in stone. Well that so it's funny though because before the season started that's what we were saying about Frank Vogel um, who had done that when they won the title and had gotten guys to sort of buy in. But it's there are certain personalities that any yeah. coach cannot get to play a certain way. And we on the roster last year, Westbrook, Malik Monk, you know, I'll, we get to stop. But like you can keep going for guys like Mello that have never in their NBA yeah. lives had that a certain level of NBA defensive intensity. And for Dallas, like, let's throw Bertans out because he's clearly he's one of those guys that's never done it. But Luca's carrying such a large load, which has its own issues that everyone else sure. and Jason Kidd has enough gravitas coming in there that, that they really can demand at least the maximum effort there and the maximum commitment to the scheme. And and whereas Luca is the one guy, this is where LeBron's better than Luca, where LeBron is an impactful defensive player. And Luca, you're just trying to get to sort of play pretty hard and not be that, not break <laughs> yeah. the chain early in possessions, like what happened in Phoenix in game two, right? When all of that discussion happened. So there, the the point though, is that 
there are certain guys that I'm not expecting the new coach to come in and be able to uh, to to just tell like as you could one of your high school players. And I'm sure there are even a couple high school kids that you couldn't get to play defense. Or oh, many. yes. It, okay. it's, and what's it's, it's funny is Even it's usually the... And scream, like the yelling and screaming. I've seen yo, this at my, with my seven-year-olds, Pete. Some of the best teams have yeller, screamer coaches because they sort of force the kids to play, but eventually that wear, that wears out and the kid quits the next year. or what? It's not sustainable is the point. And and it's certainly not something you can do with grown men in, in the yeah. NBA. Uh, right. And, you the, know, and that's, like that's why you got to bring in the right, the guys that at least have the proclivity to do that. Right. And not of, get not get attracted to shot creation or like that's not that just can't be prioritized to me at the same level um, when you already have LeBron Nandy and especially if Russ is back. Yeah. If you also have Russ, that means that you your cup runneth over in terms of shot creation already that in some ways it simplifies things. We just went down the in the wrong direction in building the team around those three players last year, in my opinion, in in terms of like. If you have that, you're going to have some weaknesses. And I agree that like the idea that you're going to get Russ to like lock in on the weak side and make his low man rotation every game for 82 games like that's it's not going to happen. And that's why one of my favorite sayings and I think truths about life is like, I can't make you care. Like I'm somebody who sees the good in people and, and in players. And you've heard that throughout my time on the pod and 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 all that like yeah you can make it work this is something phil jackson believes in uh, quite a bit is that idea of like there's always a path there's always a pass path to get us there and a lot of my coverage of the team and the like hey this is what we need to do is is comes from that perspective but the one thing that knocks me off of that position mike is when i see like oh you just don't really care that much that's not something that anybody else can give to you and, and if it's about the defensive end in particular like Russ in transition defense was something that that was one of the things we're watching him. And I was like, and and once our games got more and more important, I was like, oh, you don't really care that much about this. And that's not something anybody care or you don't get or you just somehow right don't get the importance of it somehow. Right. And and, and those chicken or the egg type of thing. Right. Like you don't care because you don't put that type of importance on it. And so that said, that puts a certain limit on what the Lakers will be capable of doing if he's on the team next year. But if he is, that makes everybody else that we should be, the types of players that we should be acquiring, makes it very simple. It's it's athletes that can defend and that can knock down an open shot. And again, that's that's a sliver. Yes, we're, but we're, together, guys, we're together on this. We don't need Darius coming in in th- the that's middle. Right. <laughs> I'm with right. you. That's right. No Switzerland. We have found peace and harmony, Mike. Let's end the pod here. <laughs> Although there's one last thing, though. I forgot to uh, just one tiny little point. Please, here. please, please. Yeah, yeah. So Jonathan Goldfarb once said, no, I'm just kidding. Like, uh, yeah, you had to get one in. Yes, I knew you had to get one in. <laughs> I, I, had, I had a whole thing, honestly, but I, I, I saw the look in your eyes when I mentioned the name. And uh, I'll spare it. I'll spare it to you. But, you know, I figured there's there's somebody out there that probably wants me to get a gold far reference. And I don't know if it's Harrison, somebody like that. So, you know, there, check, check the box. You'll, you'll work them in. All right. We'll go from gold far to Golden State on tomorrow's pod. There you go. Let's see if they can close things out tonight. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good.
Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.